Good morning, everyone. Uh, my name is Hezekiah. I, this is my second opportunity to, to preach before an audience of adults. Uh, I've been teaching the kids in my youth group for uh, going on about three years now. So it's not my first opportunity to public speaking, but I do have a little bit of nerves, so I appreciate your patience. Uh, a little bit of background. My wife and I have been married for four years, uh, living in Wisconsin for about the same period. Uh, we got met and married in Tennessee before coming up here. Uh, we don't have the blessing of children of our own just yet, uh, but have been heavily involved in the lives of the children in our church. So uh, we consider them our own kids for the most part. Uh, all right, I guess I'll, I'll get started then. If you had five minutes to save a life, what would you do? For firefighters and paramedics, this is a question with critical results. For every minute that a person is trapped in a burning building, having a heart attack, or possibly drowning, there is a rapidly increasing chance that they will suffer permanent injury or death. As believers, we may not be running into burning buildings, but we are called to be first responders to people who are spiritually critical, trapped in despair and destined for a spiritual death, one with even more permanent results. How then can we maximize the impact of the limited time that we have with them to save their eternal souls? For our first responders, there is no way to know ahead of time when they will get that 911 call. They have to be available in a state of readiness at all times so that as soon as the bell rings, they will be able to answer that call. This means they can't be tied up with obligations, but are able to drop whatever it is they are doing when that time comes. Have you ever seen a fire truck pull up to a house after it's already burned down, and they have a tray of cookies fresh from the oven? Sorry we're late. We didn't want the cookies to burn. Of course not. In fact, sometimes the fire station is called a firehouse since the responders on duty stay there so they're available for every emergency. Similarly, we as believers are required to be available at a moment's notice to serve God and be a witness to others. In Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 through 20, it says this, While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he, Jesus, saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Immediately. They didn't wait to tie up their nets, to sell their fish, to leave their boat to their nephew who must go on an unexpected journey to cast it in the fires of Mount Doom. No, it says they left immediately. The bell rang, their master called, and they were off. In the same way, we are to be in a state of readiness to share or defend our faith. Let's look at 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 13 through 16. Now then, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, 
so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. There's quite a bit of good doctrine in that passage. Uh, but for now, I'd like to focus on that section in verse 15 where it says we are to be always prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you. The early church to whom Peter was writing was making this defense to those who wanted to imprison them, even kill them, for their faith. Thank the Lord, we live in a country where the only defense we have to make is for those who might call us an idiot or possibly despise us. The point is, if we are living in a way that honors God, people will take notice, and people will have questions. Some may be looking for answers, while others want only to point out the flaws in our argument and justify their own sins. But his, you may ask, wouldn't my pastor or teacher or elder be a better placed, better equipped to answer these questions? It's a great question. I'm so glad you asked. That brings us to our second point. When I was a teenager in Boy Scouts, we had a chance to learn CPR, or cardiopulmonary resuscitation. I tell you, as a 13-year-old, I was probably more proud to be able to pronounce it than I was to be able to perform it. After about two hours of instruction and a chance to practice breaths and compressions on a smelly dummy, I got a little card to put in my wallet that says I could save someone's life. Imagine you're having a heart attack and this little four foot tall string bean of a kid says he's gonna save your life. Wouldn't you rather have a professional EMT with two years of training, not just two hours? Of course. But sometimes the professional is 10 minutes away, and you may not have that much time. In an emergency, little chicken legs on the scene is worth a paramedic in the bush every time. I didn't have all the training, but what I could do is keep them alive until help arrived. A little help is better than none at all. A little help from an untrained person who is there is worth an incredible amount. In fact, bystander CPR, um, even without breaths, just the regular compressions only CPR, doubles or triples the survival chance of someone in cardiac arrest. Someone who is there, who is present, who is able to, to act you know, immediately and provide a little bit of help in the time it takes uh, for professionals to arrive is worth an immense amount uh, in the overall lifespan of someone with an attack. You, my friends, have a secret ability that your pastors and elders may not. You are there, on the scene. God is omnipresent, but that is a superpower that he and his wisdom has declined to offer us. I can't be in two places at once, but we, as a body of believers, have the collective ability to be in dozens or hundreds of places at the same time. In homes, in schools, in the workplace, in Jamaica, on vacation, Wherever you are, you have the presence to impact people around you. The light of a hundred candles may dim when placed in the spotlight, but spread them out and they can illuminate a much wider area. Our pastor can't be in your workplace tomorrow, but you can. In fact, in most jobs, you probably have to be there tomorrow. But I don't think of it just as a job to pay your bills you also have the amazing opportunity to be the first responders before the first responders get there. The boots on the ground, the watchmen on the walls, the first hands to hold those who are hurting. If we are to be ready at any moment to serve God and defend our faith, we must also get set in the right place for that time. 
Now, this is somewhat of an easy one, since it's not often you or me who get do the placing, but a God thing. In a famous passage in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Congratulations, you're in Jerusalem already. Well, maybe not Jerusalem, but Whitehall. You could picture Whitehall as Jerusalem, uh, the greater Trempolo County as Judea, the nearby counties as Samaria, and of course, the ends of the earth are self-explanatory. The point is that we are God's witnesses wherever we happen to be. The rapid growth of the early church was due in part to the persecution they faced as believers. They were forced to leave their homes and flee to other lands, in addition to the purposeful missionaries such as Paul. For example, uh, I was at work one day, struggling to complete what should have been a simple task before leaving for the day. The machine would not cooperate, and for the life of me, I could not understand why. When the call came over the intercom that there was a situation that needed my help, I was already frustrated and resented the interruption. There was a lady I worked with who, at the time, was at the end of her rope. She was stretched out, worn out, and ready to quit. Since I was her supervisor, I was called up so that she could ask to leave early. When I asked why, rather than just say she was tired or sick, the whole story came spilling out of her. I didn't know what to do or what to say. I offered to connect her with some of our chaplains, people trained in this sort of trauma. She refused. She thought she was beyond help. I was able to pray with her, but she interrupted halfway through to tell me that it was useless to pray since God couldn't hear her anyway. I couldn't invite her to church. She had tried church and didn't think they could help. As a kid, I got my CPR badge and never had a chance to use it. And that day, I felt like skinny McChicken legs all over again. Far too small, too weak, not wise enough to be able to help. I was out of my depth, way over my head in, hopeless, in the hopelessness that this lady was experiencing. I let her go home early, of course, and offered to walk with her to her car. As we were walking, she kept apologizing for taking my time for being an inconvenience. I told her that she was worth it. She was worth it. Five minutes of my time spent listening to her grief, not even an answer to her problems or to her questions, but she burst into tears at the thought that she mattered enough for me to give her that. I know that God ensured I was in the right place because as soon as it was over and I went back to work, whatever problem there was with the machine had vanished as mysteriously as it arrived. I was ready, I was available to prior, by prioritizing people over problems. And God set me in the right place and time to have that opportunity. But I missed probably the most important thing. I didn't have anything to say. I was willing and God was able to use that. But I lost some of the impact that he could have brought because I didn't have the equipment in place when it was needed. For a firefighter, there's no way to know when a 911 call is coming. So everything and everyone has to be ready at all times. Vehicles are fueled, equipment is in place, and the responders themselves are trained, in place, and ready to go as soon as that bell rings. If you've ever seen an emergency drill at a firehouse, as I got the chance to do as a kid, it's pretty crazy how quickly they can go from sitting around playing cards 
to out the door and on the way to the fire. Christian first responders don't get cool hats, flashy lights, and noisy sirens. So what equipment do we need to fight the spiritual lives and people's, the spiritual fires in people's lives? Get ready, get set, gospel. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Romans 1, 16 through 17. But no one is righteous, no, not one. Romans 3, 10. And all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 3, 23. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans 6, 23. And God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 5, 8. So, by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. Ephesians 2, 8. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Romans 10.9. Here it is in my own words, a personal testimony or witness of what God has done, and his gospel or good news that is for you and for all people. I was a sinner. I lived selfishly. I chose my own way. I did what I wanted to do. Even when I did good things, I did it so that I could be appreciated for them, not really for the benefit of others. My simple choice, my stupid choices brought heavy consequences. I felt so buried by the weight of them that I lost hope things would ever get better. I didn't feel I was worth the love of other people, that I only mattered for what I could do for them, and that the moment I stopped helping people, they wouldn't love me anymore. I didn't feel that life was worth living or that I was worth loving. My lungs still took in oxygen, but my soul had long stopped breathing. But God, the cost, the consequences of the life I lived and the choices I made was and could only be death. But God, I was trapped in a spiritual house fire as the lies I told other people that everything was okay began to burn ever closer to consume me. But God, when my heart refused to beat because I didn't care enough anymore to try, but God, when I lay in bed at night, afraid to sleep, because I didn't know if I'd wake up, but God. When I only did things because I had to, and there was no joy in life, but God. But God. But God. But God. But God proves his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. But God loved me enough to chase me down inside that burning house that I had built, to wrap a father's loving arms around my soul, to extinguish the flames of my eternal destination with the blood of his own son, and breathe his Holy Spirit into my lungs, even though I did nothing to deserve it. I had lived my whole life in fear that if I stopped serving, stopped working, stopped holding up my end of the bridge of relationships with my own family, that I wouldn't be worth their love. But God sent his own son to die for my sin, because to him, I was worth it. The wages of my sin was death, but God's free gift is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord.
He died for my sins, but he didn't stay dead because three days later he rose again. Jesus' death and his resurrection is the reason my sin could die and I could have new life in him. At first, I didn't want it. I couldn't accept it. Couldn't believe that anyone could love me because of what I've done or not done. But God's love isn't based on what we've done, but on who he is. By his grace, we have been saved through faith. It is not because of anything we could have done or anything we can do, but the undeserved gift of a God who loves us enough to say, you are worth it. You are worth it. You're worth the time it takes for me to share this with you. Worth the effort, the potential embarrassment. Worth the pain of cookies burning in the oven, a net full of fish rotting on the seashore. You're worth moving from Tennessee to Wisconsin and suffering endless jokes about how unprepared I am for the coming winter. If you are worth all these things to me and my meager portion of love, how much more are you worth the love of an infinitely loving God? I'll tell you how much. God so loved the world, you, me, my wife, our families, strangers across the sea, so much that he, loved, he gave up his only son to die on a cross for your choices, for your sadness, for your loss, your grief, your despair. He gave up his son so that you could have life and life more abundantly, so that you and I could be adopted into his family, to be called a son or a daughter of the living God with an inheritance waiting for you in heaven. Do you believe that? It was hard for me at first, and there are still days where I find myself wondering, am I really worth it? But God has demonstrated his love in this way over and over and over again through my life. So for every time that question rears its ugly head, I can say, Jesus is Lord. He died for my sins and was raised from the dead because to him I was worth it. If I have just one day to speak with you here, just one moment to witness and to share just how awesome my God is, I don't want to miss out on anyone here who might want to respond. If you're in an emergency situation in your life, in your spiritual life, if you're trapped or dying, who do you call? If it's a physical emergency, of course, we call 911. But for a spiritual attack, or a fire, sickness, or disease, there's only one name by which you may be saved. I can't save you, but what I can do, and what you and all believers can do, is to be with you, to pray with you, and to help you call in this name, Jesus. So if you would, I'd like to ask you to stand, if you're able. If you're going through a critical time in your life, and you need someone to save you, just allow us to pray with you today. If you're in spiritual danger and know you need a savior, just pray this with me. Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. The choices I've made lead only to death, and I'm powerless to escape 
without your help. I believe that you died to pay the price for my sins and that you rose again from the dead. You died because to you I am worth it. I freely confess that you are my Lord and my Savior because you are worth it. Thank you for saving me. If you were in need of salvation and prayed that prayer, congratulations, your Savior already arrived. He already paid the price for your, to rescue you nearly 2,000 years ago. How's that for a response time? When it comes to saving lives, you can't beat Jesus. Speaking of saving lives, we've got one more thing to pray for. If you've been listening to me talk and God has convicted you to make yourself available to reach the lost, we're going to pray for you as well. I'd like to ask everyone who needs to replace some of their priorities so they can be available when God calls, when an emergency is near, to pray this with me if you're able. We're going to pray in the knowledge that God has prepared every good work for you to walk in them, that your spirit would be made willing to be available to serve. We're going to pray in the knowledge that God's word is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and training in righteousness. You don't need to practice on some smelly dummy to be certified first responder to the lost, but you do need training in righteousness. To that end, we're going to pray that you would be given a hunger for God's word to equip your service, spiritual wisdom and discernment to aid your studies, that you would seek and be given teachers and mentors to prepare you for this mission, and that you would be open and eager to receive every good word from the mouth of the Lord. So if you would, we'll just pray together. Father God, I thank you for your servants, for those you have called by your name and equipped for every good work. I pray that you would allow us the courage and the faith to accept that duty, to be first responders, soldiers for your army, for your cause, ambassadors for Christ in a dark and foreign land. I pray that we'd be willing in our homes, in our schools, in our workplaces, in daily life, to drop everything when the time comes to serve you. That nothing would keep us back from witnessing to the lost, to aiding our fellow man, believers and unbelievers alike, who are in trial. Lord, that we would seek diligently in your word to be prepared and equipped for this good service. That we would have a hunger for the knowledge of your spirit, that your Holy Spirit will be poured upon us and give us life, power, and proof of your majesty and your working in our lives. For those who are hurting, I pray that our eyes would be opened to the deliverance that is already at hand, that we would not tarry, but would draw ever closer to your salvation that you offer. I pray your blessing over this congregation, over everyone who can hear my voice today. Lord, that we would not despise your word, but would be united in the purpose that you have called us through through your son. To be sons and daughters of Christ and to welcome the lost and a hurting nation, to draw them to the one name by which they may be saved. This name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.